Good morning. My name's Austin. I'm one of the assistants here at Salem Fellowship. And I get the privilege of uh, sharing with you guys this morning. So um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8. While you guys work your way there, Pastor Steve uh, gave us many things to be in prayer about. So let's take a moment and open this morning in prayer. Father, we um, pray first, as was mentioned, for Pastor Michael and the team who is in Corona. Lord, that you would uh, fill him afresh and anew, give him boldness and clarity with your gospel. And Lord, we pray as well for all that's going on down in Thousand Oaks right now, for the shooting that took place, for the fires. And especially as we uh, know, Pastor Rob McCoy, also mayor, Lord, give him favor in that town. We pray for um, ideas and open doors, ways of advancing your kingdom and your gospel, Lord, that we would, uh, they would stand on truth and see this as an opportunity for a horrible situation to be used for good. And we pray now for this morning. Lord, as we're gathered here, we ask that as we open your word, we look at it, that we would hear from you. And Lord, we would really give uh, consideration. This wouldn't be yet another Sunday, Lord, but this day. And uh, finally, too, we do understand, I believe we ought to understand greater than any people group, freedom is not free. Lord, first we understand that because of what you've done for us to gain freedom, but uh, we also recognize this day as American citizens, we're blessed And we're blessed because there have been those who have gone out to war, Lord, who have defended our Constitution, the things that this nation was founded on, the freedoms that we walk in and all will partake in this day simply by being citizens of the U.S. So, um, Lord, we pray that you would uh, honor them this day and that it would bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 8. We'll start in the first couple verses. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. I once heard it said that um, most things can be said in a few lines. And we can say that's true this morning, except now we have to add, unless you're a preacher. The reason why is the author of Hebrews, now eight chapters in, is finally going to tell us his main point of all that we've been building up for. If you've been coming to Salo over the past Sundays... We've found ourselves chapter by chapter going through the book of Hebrews, all to find out this morning that it could have been accomplished in just two short verses. As the author says, all right now, here's the main point. We have such a high priest. We have such a high priest. We all just sang together. There will be no one like you. None beside you, you alone. Uh, There is no one like him. 
now. We can say that's true. We have such a high priest. That's where we've been headed. That's what the author has been for chapter after chapter bringing to our attention. Putting him up against the greatest of time and showing where still Jesus is better. We have such a high priest. He's, he's better. And maybe if you've been here, this is becoming a redundant theme. I hope it is. Um, there is no other theme that we should be talking about other than we have such a high priest. But we also notice that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Um, Jesus is seated. Don't miss that. He's seated. Here again, maybe a scripture that you're familiar with. Oh, I've, I've heard that before. He's seated. He's at the right hand of the Father. Maybe you've heard it in Mark's gospel. He was taken up and sat down. Or maybe you've heard it in the book of Ephesians, that he worked in Christ, Ephesians 1.20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And just this morning, I looked through and found about six other scriptures that uh, really pertain to Christ and His position as He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. I say don't miss that this morning. The reason why is, is how come if He's seated, how come if He's finished, then we're down here running around trying to complete and trying to fulfill a covenant that's already been fulfilled. There's no more work to be done on that front. It's already finished. Here's an interesting thought for us to consider. There were no seats in the temple. Think about that. The temple had many things. It had many furnishings, beautiful furnishings at that. Majestic ones. But there were no seats. The priest had no place to sit down. Why? His work was never done. The, the working and the offering and the sacrifices made for the forgiveness of sins, that was an incompleted work. It was a work that went on. As sin abounded, so too did the, the work of the priest go on. They had great job security. I'm sure of that. There was never a void of uh, offerings to be made. So if Christ is seated, then why are we still running around? Two pictures came into my mind as I was thinking about this. Think about the reality that Christ is seated, the work is finished. And in relation to you and I here on earth, as we're working away, in some cases working at being worthy of this covenant. Here's the first picture that came to my mind. There was a contractor who built a house. The job eventually came to an end, and the house was finished. Yet the same contractor continued to show up day after day to work on the house. There was only one problem. There was no work to be done, because the house was finished. It seems and sounds so silly when we think about it that way. If that didn't do anything, I'll allow you to wake up now. Second picture, here we go. There was a man who showed up to a gas station, and it was permanently closed. 
Trying to pump gas out of the broken machine, he finally realized below was a sign that read, Out of order. However, he kept coming back. Day after day, each time he pulls in, he passes by the same sign permanently closed. He then continues to the broken pump where he again tries pumping gas into his car and nothing comes out. Day after day, permanently closed. You know, I just imagine as, as Christ is, is seated in, in that uh, moment, everything stops. It's like I, another picture that uh, comes to my mind is thinking of a factory, a factory that's operating at full tilt. Everybody's in their rightful place. Everybody's uh, doing their job. And then all of a sudden, everything just stops. Why? It's done. It's finished. We don't need to make these things anymore. There's been another way that's been made. Let's continue on into this thought a little bit. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So, if Jesus is such a high priest and priests offer things and the author is saying it would be necessary that there was something he would have to offer. And of course, uh, we know he made an offering. However, his offering was not under the same um, rules and regulations as the offerings that were being made under the law. He did what no one else could do. Just think, for these priests, their job security, what now? Really? Did you really have to come in and just shut it all down? You know, we were floating the river this summer. And uh, there's a part along this river float as we go down. There's a cliff. It's a decent-sized cliff, and uh, it's customary that as we go, we stop off at this cliff, and we go up, and one by one, people are jumping down. Um, But this time, we happened to come up, and somewhere in the middle of our group, actually towards the end, there was another um, few people who had gone up and, and followed us up there. And this little boy jumps off, and it's like, wow, you know, and then his dad comes up. And, and usually when you jump off the cliff, you face forward, right? Uh, looking out down into the water. But he turns around facing into the, to the hills. And he gets positioned and everybody's realizing he's about to do something. And there he went. He jumps off and nails a perfect backflip. And then there's me, the only one left, just standing there. Great, now what am I supposed to do? I felt unworthy to even take the stand. I figured, man, I might as well just walk down now. Party's over. Just shut it down. Christ shut it down. He shut it down. The veil was torn in two. It was over. It was done. It was finished. He's seated. So why? Why is it that we're still down here running around, trying to work at this thing. There will be works. We will see that. But there will be no work that will get you in to heaven. 
Verses 4 and 5, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So here's what we realize now. These priests, as they were about their business, they were serving a copy and a shadow. A shadow. What's a shadow? We can commonly think of a tree. A tree casts a shadow. A shadow in and of itself has no substance, right? The tree itself is the object. The shadow, another visual, in and of itself, no substance, just being cast by the true object. Think of it this way. Would you rather have a relationship with a picture or with a person? And I started to talk to my wife about this last night. I said, could you imagine, and and imagine this with me. Imagine if when I came home, my relationship was with a picture of my wife while she was sitting there in in her form as a, a living human being. And yet, my relationship was with a picture of her. Because that's literally for these uh, Jewish worshipers in their day, as they were worshiping under the law, making sacrifice in the temple, it was just a shadow. It was just a picture of the person Christ. Imagine that. She said, that's weird. It is weird. It would be weird. When we live under the law, it's weird. Why? Christ, the person, is in the room, waiting and desiring to have a relationship with us, and yet we're trying to have a relationship with the picture, the shadow, the type, the law. The law that's been fulfilled. The law that Jesus came and is now vanishing, we'll see, later on in chapter 8. See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. See that you make all things. Um, We have recently made a move. And uh, we're filling our room with furniture and things. And of course, we needed a coffee bar. Necessities only, of course. But we had to have a coffee bar. So we got one and it, was, it came in a box. And uh, for some days it just sat in the box. And then finally I opened it up. And uh, coming out of the box along with the coffee bar is a magazine size manual of how to put together this. It's like five pieces. And it needs a magazine of a manual to put the thing together. If you're anything like me, I just go forget it. it. It makes you want to put everything back in the box and walk away. But I just, I decided to wing it. I don't need the manual. And as I'm putting it together, trying to figure it out, I'm realizing every piece is perfectly labeled. The manufacturer, the people who made this product, that know it, that calculated it, that thought it out, that made a way, that, that put the way out there. And I still wanted to do it my way. 
I want to do it my way. I don't want to follow the rules. I don't want to follow the pattern. I imagine, imagine for Moses as he goes up and the Lord gives him this pattern very specifically. He gives him a glimpse of the heavenly things and how he's supposed to now come and and perfectly already ordered out, already calculated. The way has already been made. Just follow the way. Just make the earthly shadow picture and, and follow this pattern. There was a specific order. And the pattern that was shown to Moses was just a copy. It was just a shadow. We see in verse 2 the idea of a true tabernacle being mentioned to us. That there are priests who are priests over the tabernacles that were set up on earth. However, Jesus, the high priest who we're now talking about, we find that he was a high priest over the true tabernacle. The blood sacrifices that were being made, they were all about Christ. The offerings that were made, all about Christ. The tabernacle, the, the physical temple, it was all about Christ. Just a picture, just a form. Now our context for these Jewish believers, these worshipers of the temple of God, the temple of God. Something happened when the God of the temple appeared, something happened. The temple still had their attention. They were still fixated. They could not get over the temple, the magnificence of the temple, the tangible, what was comfortable, what they knew, what seemed right, what they could see, what they could feel. This idea of an unseen heavenly place wasn't as appealing. It was not as attractive as the earthly temple that still had their attention. The shadow today is just as real. It's just as real for you and I. We get so enamored by the visual By the visual reality that's before us, that it keeps us from that which is really real. There was a team of us who went over to Uganda, Africa. And on our way back from that trip, we had a long layover in Amsterdam. Long enough that we were actually able to go out into the town for a day. And as we went out, we decided to go on a tour, a canal tour. And as we're going through these canals... Around us is this amazing infrastructure that's grabbing our attentions. This visual reality that's surrounding us, that's keeping us engaged for close to 50 minutes or an hour going through these canals. And this seems to be the case for most of us. It seems to be the case that the visual reality, the visual world is what's getting our attention It's what's keeping us distracted from realizing there's a better covenant. There's a relationship waiting for us with Christ. The visual world, it's a consuming force. 
keeping up with the Joneses. Now, I was, I, I was laughing at this. Who are the Joneses? I don't think anybody knows so much so that we've just decided, well, then let's keep up with the Kardashians. Because no one could figure out who these Joneses were. But we have to keep up. We have to look cool. We have to make more than they do. This visual reality consuming us, having a grip on us. So our question, what is visual that has a grip on you? What is gripping you? What are you believing more than the word of truth? Putting your experience, putting what you feel above the word of truth, above what's true. Why? Because that's not what you see, or that's not what you're feeling, or that's not what it seems to be. Where has that visual gotten between you and the promises of Christ? Where is it getting in the way? Where is it keeping you from Him? I have to say, I'm the first one to tell you, the visual world has a grip on me. I don't know about you. Just even sitting down and trying to prepare for this message, the things, the visual things in this world, and the grip that they can have on your life, the, the draw, the enticement. I don't think this is a bad thing, but this morning, I, I really, for the last hour that I should have been preparing, just couldn't stop looking at my son sitting there, rocking back and forth in the chair. Not a bad thing to look at. He's not bad. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just visual stimulation and the distraction of it. And for the Jewish believers, imagine now their world being encompassed and surrounded by this temple worship, this temple that had been erected by man. So catchy, so tangible, so in their face, so much so that they could not receive this message that we see in verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. And as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So the the author of Hebrews is pointed out first. And our main point, we have such a high priest. We have a better high priest. And if we have a better high priest, then there must be a better covenant. There must be better promises to follow. And this is the covenant. These are the promises that we now have. What is the better covenant? What are the better promises? We will see in verses 7 to the end. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them... He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The better covenant, if the first covenant had been faultless. I heard it put like this. Imagine that there's a perfect world out there. A perfect world. No cops, 
no prisons, no addiction ministries, a perfect world. And then you had to come along and mess it all up. That's you and I. Why? The law was put in place. And under that covenant, there was fault found. Under the old covenant, we've been found at fault. We've been found in the wrong. That's the old covenant. Look at verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. I took them by the hand and yet they did not continue. Even though, Jesus, even though the Lord took them by the hand, they still couldn't keep up with Him. And this morning, let's be grateful and thankful that the Lord does not just drag us around by the hand. It's not just an external relationship. He doesn't just expect that you and I are going to get in line, that we're going to whip into shape, that we're going to be the men and women we're supposed to be, because we're going to do it in this whole external realm. A leading of the outside in, it was for them in this day as the Lord led them by the hand. He's given us more than just a hand. He's given us a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 36, 22. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Praise the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, he's now working through our minds and through our hearts. He's working into us that which he is wanting to come out of us. He's not just leaving us to have to muster it up. He's literally putting in you everything He's calling out of you. He's putting it on our minds. In our minds, He's putting it on our hearts. This is the new covenant. This is the better covenant with better promises. He hasn't just left us with a heart of stone. I know I'm grateful for that. I don't know about you. I couldn't turn that heart of stone into anything other than harder stone. That was all that was going on for me before I met the Lord. This week we've been working on a hay barn. Um, it's a large structure, 28 feet by 120 feet. There's a lot of room for air when you're walking something out a distance of 120 feet. I, I love this man, Daniel. He, uh, at the start of this project, he didn't have an appreciation for the level. Um, his way to want to do it would be to just tack it up there. You guys are taking too much time. Why the level? It's always the level. We need the level. Get the level. Nick, where's the level? <laughs> the, this is us taking our, our good old time 
on every piece of metal as we're running it down. And then the nailers, they're called, which run horizontal, are set. And now it's time to sheet it in, close it in with the vertical metal. And as we do that, we take some measurements. Again, probably doesn't understand why I'm taking all this time. Measuring, measure once, twice, three times, four times. All right, now we're ready. We, we drill the holes and we start to put the metal up. And we start to go 30 feet, 45 feet. Not quite to 60 yet, hopefully Monday. But that's a lot of distance we're walking out. And over that distance... Had those nailers not been level, over that distance, have we not been keeping the metal level, we would not have hit our mark every time. And Daniel realized the importance of the level. Are you looking for the level now? Daniel's got it. I'm telling you. Where's where's the level? Daniel's got it. Daniel, get the level. Where's the level? Every, Every piece of metal. He said, I finally understand For the first time, the importance of the level. Before that, trying to get a level in his hand. I'll tell you, not easy. (laughs) But now, if you're looking for it, he's got it. That's, That's the difference that's going on here. It's no longer just someone telling us. It's no longer do's and don'ts. Thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. Notice what it is. Verses 8 In 10 through 12, over six times in four verses, the Lord says, I will. I will. Forget you. You're faultless. You can't. You couldn't. But I will. I'm not done with you, though, because I will. And I will be your God, and you shall be my people. That's the new covenant. The Lord says, I will. I will do it. It's what the Lord does, not what we do. In verse 11, None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. I want to point this out. Um, This really stood out to me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. And it says of the least and the greatest, all shall know. All shall be in the same category. And to the Lord, the least and the greatest, they're all the same. The least and the greatest. We deal in terms, a lot of the times, of the least and the greatest. We look at our lives, we look at our position how it's less than theirs, how it's not as great as theirs. We might even be thinking to ourselves, I'm the least. Does anybody remember that I'm out here? How come I never get to do that? Or how come they never pick me for that? I'm the least. I'm of the least. But before the Lord, the least and the greatest, there's there's coming a day where He says, they all shall know. He will be our teacher. He will be our instructor. There will be no least and greatest. There are no least and greatest to the Lord. You've probably heard this uh, mentality. Get out of my way. I want to give you a different mentality. 
other than get out of your way. Get out of my way, I mean. Get out of your way. Stop stopping yourself. Get out of your way. Stop telling other people to get out of your way. You need to get out of your way. Thinking you're least, thinking you're not as great, looking on, the grass is always greener on the other side. I can't tell if the grass is greener or not because I'm too busy tending to my own. I can't tell who has a greener lawn. Get out of your way. There are no least or greatest. Stop believing that you're the least. Stop believing in that lie that your position is not great enough. It's not. It's not. But Christ, but God, but a new covenant that made a way. Our position was not. It, it could not. It would not. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The old covenant found fault. The new covenant, what fault? Look it. And their sins... And their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their fault. I will, I will forget their sins. This is the new covenant. I still remember the wrongs people did to me in elementary school. We're running around remembering, remembering all the wrongs, thinking about the things people did to us. And yet the new covenant, he's not going to remember these things anymore. I remember what Derek said on Wednesday night. He said, if I tell you don't think about a pink elephant, you're not going to be able to stop thinking about it. I've been trying since Wednesday night to stop thinking about this pink elephant. Thank you, Derek. We can make it a fun game and change it. Don't think about a purple lion. Try not to do that. See if someone continues Wednesday night with this or not. We can't not think about the things that we try not to think about. But the Lord, He chose to remember no more. This is the new covenant. He remembers our sins no more. And let's close with verse 13. And that, He says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now it is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The NIV puts it that, and what's outdated will soon disappear. What's outdated? I have a question. Who puts on old clothes when you have new clothes in the closet? Who does it? I mean, I know I would go for the new clothes. That's just me. Maybe you think you can bring old back and... I know there's all of that, and we can try and make it cool, but really deep down, we all still know it's old. It's old. Sorry if I'm coming down on your style. Maybe that was your thought process this morning. I'm going to bring old back. I, I literally was crazy in high school, man. I kept my stuff so nice and neat. I have jackets that are 8, 10 years old that I could put on that look new, but I know I'm not fooling myself. It's old. 
However, sometimes the old fits better, doesn't it? My wife saw me this morning. I put this shirt on. It's new. I've worn it one other time, and I don't like the way it fits. Why it's new? It doesn't fit quite right. It's not been washed. I thought back, I have an old shirt that I wanted to go put on. Why? It's like become a part of me. It fits me well. It's comfortable. I'm safe in it. You know, maybe you are of the extreme kind who can have new stuff and leave it just sitting in your closet for months. I know Bruce, our facilities manager, he talks about how he has new boots that he just keeps. They're sitting in his closet and he's waiting for the day when he'll put them on. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's possible that we can leave new things in the box Even for months, there's those out there who are disciplined and they can patiently wait for the new. But don't be that type of person with the new covenant. Don't be comfortable in the old. Don't don't wear the old just because it fits when the new is there to put on. Holding on to the tangible, it feels good. Working Thinking our works are getting us somewhere, it seems right. We seem now worthy. It seems like we're worthy of an invitation. Like we've done something. Like we can now get invited in. Like we've earned it. So we have to remember these things that we've heard. We have a main point being talked about this morning. And the main point is we have a greater high priest. We have such a high priest. There is no one like him. However, we have to realize there is a shadow. There is a visual reality. And it it can get in the way of you and I and that great high priest. It can keep us distracted. Just as in the, the scriptures, we see that these Jewish believers were so caught up by the temple, by the old covenant. And may we realize there is a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. And the promises that the Lord has for us in this covenant is that it's no longer about what you will do. He says, I will. It's about what He will do. He's given us a hand. He's given us a heart. He's given us a new spirit. He's not left us with our old nature, the fleshly men and women that we are. Amen?